0: Welcome to the Theory to Action podcast, where we examine the timeless treasures of wisdom from the great books in less time to help you take action immediately and ultimately to create and lead a flourishing life. Now, here's your host, David Kaiser. Hello, I am David and welcome back to another Mojo Minute. And we are continuing our nutritional look at that Socratic question, isn't a calorie just a calorie? And so far we have said no. In fact, it is not. Not actually. With that, let's continue from our book, How Not to Diet, The Groundbreaking Science of Healthy Permanent Weight Loss by the great and almost always funny Dr. Michael Greger. And let's go to that Vermont prison study, which I talked about last week. Go on to the book. In the Vermont prison studies I mentioned earlier, where lean, quote, volunteers were overfed to study experimental obesity. The researchers made an important discovery. They learned how difficult it is to get people to gain weight on purpose unless you feed them lots of fat. To get prisoners to gain thirty pounds on the mixed diet, it took about one thousand I'm sorry one hundred and forty thousand excess calories per a certain body surface area to get the same thirty pound weight gain just add just by adding fat to their diets, all the researchers had to do was feed the prisoners as few as forty thousand extra calories. When the extra calories were in the form of straight fat, it took as many as 100,000 fewer calories to gain the same amount of fat. I'm sorry, to gain the same amount of weight. Why isn't a calorie just a calorie? Why are our bodies so much more efficient at storing fat calories? The reason our bodies so easily store fat as fat is because it's already fat. Our bodies can turn protein or carbs into fat, but it's costly. To store 100 calories of dietary fat as body fat, it only takes three calories of energy. By converting 100 calories of dietary carbs into fat for storage takes 23 calories. So if your body wanted to store fat from 100 pats of butter it would have to essentially burn three pats to make it happen. So you'd end up storing only 97 pats. But in order to store 100 sugar cubes as fat, the conversion process alone would burn up nearly a quarter of them. This is why our bodies would rather burn carbs and store fat instead of the other way around. Simply stated, fat may be more Fattening. Ah, uh, there is a nugget of wisdom. In fact, a nutritional nugget of wisdom at that. Yes, this is nutrition 201 stuff now, but did you hear how that lost or couldn't account for the over 100,000 excess calories? How crazy is that? 3,500 calories is a pound. We know at least in the energy balance equation we learned last time. So 100,000 calories divided by 3,500. That's like over 28 pounds that are missing. And if my public school math is helping me here, it looks like it is. Holy smokes. Again, pretty cool stuff though. The missing 28 pounds. Now let's keep going with this wisdom, going back to the book. When we eat a meal, most of the fat is deposited directly as fat on our bodies, whereas a large portion, a large proportion of the carbs gets stored in our muscles for quick energy. A study on children found that a high fat meal deposited nine times more fat onto their bodies than the same number of calories of a low fat meal. Where exactly does the fat go? Researchers at the Mayo Clinic tagged the fat in a meal with special isotopes to track its movement throughout the body. They had research subjects eat the tagged fat, and then 24 hours later brought them into the operating room and took fat biopsies from their thighs, belly flab, and deep within their abdomens. Of the fat in the meal they could account for, about 40 percent, 45% was burned right off the bat but most of that fat consumed was simply directed right into their fat stores. The researchers found that about 50% went right into the belly flab, 40% to their thighs, and most of the remaining went into their visceral fat, the fat that's buried around your major organs. Under normal circumstances, less than 1% of ingested carbohydrates suffers the same fate based on similar studies of isotope-labeled Sugar. Now that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool stuff. But let's keep going for just two more paragraphs because here's where we get some other nutritional nuggets of wisdom. Low-fat proponents often point out this fact that, that making significant amounts of new fat from scratch from ingested carbs only occurs with massive overfeeding. Of, for example, a diet consisted of candy. If you fed people an extra thousand calories of sugar a day, the equivalent of up to 11 bags of cotton candy, they do gain about four pounds in three weeks. But most of the extra carb calories end up being burned off as excess heat. If, however, you added an extra thousand calories of fat, like a stick or so of butter every day or a half a cup of oil, Most of that would be directly socked away and stored for a rainy day. Under normal circumstances, I'm sorry, under more normal circumstances, even if less than 1% of the carbs in a meal end up as fat, that doesn't mean that the carbs can't be fattening. Normally, our bodies burn fat around the clock at, interestingly, about the rate at which a candle burns. Candles, after all, used to be made from animal fat. Carbohydrates are the body's preferred fuel, so when we eat them, our bodies switch from burning fat to burning carbs, effectively snuffing out the candle for a few hours. So while we can certainly gain weight from eating carbs, it's more from sparing our own fat from being used, rather than adding more fat directly. Ah, so the low carb folks really don't have the nutrition right either. And the low fat folks are a little bit closer to the truth on this one. So that's pretty good stuff. Certainly it is indeed nutrition 201 stuff. Now, the last time I said I would bring you a solution instead of just talking about all the problems. And here's where Dr. Greger's book is just as good in that respect too. He provides us solutions as we get to the end of the book. In fact, 21 of these so-called tweaks to our diet so we can optimize and flourish. One of those is time restriction of your eating. Let's go back to the book for that wisdom. Confine your eating to a daily window of time of your choosing under 12 hours in length that you can stick to consistently seven days a week. Given the circadian benefits of reducing evening food intake, the window should end before 7 p.m. Ah, there's some very cool advice. So the 12-hour rule would have us eat as early as 7 a.m. if we're keeping this window. And at the end of the window by eating our last meal right before 7 p.m. That sounds very doable. So in today's mojo minute, to flourish in life, we have to understand how nutrition can help us in life or in fact hurt us. Now I will be over the course of the next five months be putting more of this nutritional information out from our best books that I cover, and we will be putting theory into action because my health says it needs to be improved. How about you? Can you improve your nutritional health too? I will see you in our next class. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this Theory to Action podcast. Be sure to check out our show page at TeamMojoAcademy.com, where we have everything we discussed in this podcast as well as other great resources. Until next time, keep getting your mojo on.